everyone. This is Marcel. And this is Isabel, and you're listening to the Top Rank Podcast. So for any new listeners out there, um, our podcast is an exploratory research platform centered on people of diverse backgrounds who are driving, shaping, and challenging their fields and also the world around them. Tech is one of the biggest, fastest changing, and most in-demand industries in terms both of services and of jobs. It is also a fraught and largely yet to be traversed territory that comes with many critical and even existential questions from AI and automation to privacy and surveillance. As we record this via conference call here in New York, we're still in the throes of the COVID-19 pandemic and quarantine, a set of circumstances that is bringing the role of technology in our lives into even higher relief while also forcing us to totally reimagine the workplace as many careers are becoming remote and it looks like might stay that way for a long time or even indefinitely. We're so excited this evening to be speaking with Gerilyn Rodriguez and Joe Carano, founders of The Knowledge House, an education organization based in the Bronx that offers technical training and professional development to youth and young adults. The organization's programming provides students with the skills to pursue a range of careers in the tech industry from data science to web design. Gerilyn and Joe, thank you so much for being on our show this evening. Thank you for having us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having us. We're super excited to dive into this and learn a bit more about um, the story behind your organization and, and all of that. So I guess we'd like to start off by, yeah, asking if you could both just introduce yourselves and share how each of you became interested in, in pursuing um, the founding of an organization um, like this. And then, of course, what's the origin story of your of your organization? So I know three questions in one, but basically, how'd you all get here? <laughs> um, so I'll get us started. My name is Gerilyn Rodriguez. I'm the co-founder and CEO at The Knowledge House. Um, my role is to lead uh, business operations, uh, staff management, and external affairs. And I got into this work because I grew up with a passion for education. Um, my mom was a teacher. My sister studied education. So I just come from a family of educators. Um, and I knew that I wanted to give back some way. Um, at the same time, I grew up with a passion for storytelling and film. Um, and so even though I studied film in college, I didn't get to pursue it professionally. You know, um, I, I think I didn't pursue it professionally because I didn't realize um, like in high school when I was making short films, how hard it was to get into the field professionally. And I feel like my college experience didn't prepare me to enter the field either. So I graduated college and because of my passion for education, I always had a strong education network. So my first job out of college, um, I was working in the ed policy space. I was raising awareness about um, education inequity and I was doing student organizing to reform the field. Um, and I remember it was at my first job that I actually got motivated to pursue entrepreneurship. Um, so my first boss, uh, her name was Alexis Morin. She's like one of my closest mentors right now. And what's really interesting is at the time she was younger than me, right? And now Remember, I was coming out of college. So I was like 21, 
it literally means that my boss at the time was like 19 years old. She had dropped out of an Ivy League institution because she wanted to start a nonprofit. And I was like, what? So like just seeing like her leadership and being a part of a nonprofit startup really motivated me because I thought this woman um, is younger than me. She's so smart. She's so bright. She's taking risks. Like that's what entrepreneurship is about. And if she can do it, I can do it too. Um, I think also while I was uh, focused on education, I was at the same time becoming frustrated with the fact that leaders wanted to push for like, like college only, college only. Like if you don't go to college, you're going to fail. And I remember from my college experience, even though it worked for me, it didn't prepare me for what I wanted to pursue professionally, you know? So I was always thinking about career readiness and I um, became really focused on alternative pathways. So um, I was at my first job for about two years and then I moved on to teach, uh, run after school programs. I spent like five years working in education, really like just figuring out what to do next because I was not happy, right? Um, so I thought back about my first boss and how she just took a risk, right? Um, so I literally looked up a class that this nonprofit um, tech incubator was offering. I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but I have a problem that I want to solve. Um, and so that's when I started ideating nonprofit ideas that focus on alternative pathways. Um, and it wasn't until my last job before the Knowledge House that I actually bumped into Joe. So my last job um, before the Knowledge House, I was leading uh, a political campaign for this candidate called Reshma Saljani in, 12, in 2012, she was running for public advocate of New York City. Reshma Saljani is also the founder of Girls Who Code. So again, I was literally seeing women entrepreneurs taking risks. Uh, in terms of Reshma, she was literally running for office and running a nonprofit at the same time. And I was just like, enough is enough. I need to quit my jobs and just start something. So actually I was looking for office space in the Bronx for my campaign staff. And um, I went to the Bronx Business Incubator where Joe was the community manager. And so that's where our friendship really started. Um, we both were passionate about giving back to our community. Um, I'm from the Bronx and I learned that Joe was from Brooklyn, but he felt like he was pushed out due to gentrification and like his last option was to come to the Bronx. And so I think we both shared a passion to make sure that the Bronx was not left out of like innovation, right? Um, so I'll I, I'll like pass it on to Joe so that he can talk about like how we started the Knowledge House. But that's my personal story and like how I got um, influenced to start entrepreneurship. Cool. Um, word. So basically, for me, so this is Joe. My name is Joe Carano. I'm the um, uh, co-founder and CTO. So I kind of oversee all the um, in-house technical product development as well as our curriculum development. Um, I, I was the original teacher and I worked with the other teachers to uh, maintain uh, program you know, quality and stuff like that. Um, and I also work with uh, our, our business partnerships team to um, secure employment for our, uh, our graduates. Um, so I actually, so it's actually kind of funny. So I'm the technical co-founder of the Knowledge House, but I, I didn't actually go to school for computer science at all. Like 
I only went to, so I went to Baruch to CUNY um, doing business. Uh, and actually I was exposed to programming in Baruch because a friend of mine was trying to uh, create um, algorithms to do uh, options trading, essentially. So at the time, uh, you know, he kind of just put me onto this stuff. It was very abstract to me. I didn't really know too much of what to do with it. Um, but I'm always, always down to learn new things. And, um, and basically, you know, dude was showing me the algorithms he had trading was making him like $3,000 in like a couple of hours in the morning. Dude showed me his returns and like blew my mind, you know, coming from a lower income family, like seeing someone make three racks and like, you know, and like the time I was in class was kind of like crazy to me. Um, anyway, like I was around a lot of people who, you know, it's a business school. So I was around a lot of people who had like little startup ideas and stuff like that. I had, um, built up a rep for kind of helping people out with their ideas, even though I really didn't have any business background on my own. I actually went to business school initially just to open, because I wanted to learn how to run a business so I could open a tattoo shop. Um, so like, I, my man's was like, yo, I have a startup idea, but if you want to get down with it, you got to learn how to code because he had just seen the Facebook movie. And like in the Facebook movie for people who are not familiar, Mark Zuckerberg was basically hired by a bunch of dudes to build Facebook and then he stole their idea. So my friend was very paranoid and he was like, yo, we're not hiring no programmers. We're going to learn how to code. So that's when I started teaching myself how to code. This is probably like 2010, 2011. Um, anyway, I had, that's like how I started my like path in technology. My first job out of college was actually managing that incubator space um, because I had a penchant for like helping my friends that were having, that had startup ideas kind of flesh their stuff out. I felt like it was a good opportunity for me. Um, it ended up being in the South Bronx at the time I was living in the South side in Queens, um, like by Jamaica. Uh, and so I would travel an hour and a half to the Bronx because I felt like the opportunity was really dope. And when I met all these businesses, I realized that like, yo, there's so much talent and there's so much opportunity for people to kind of create something different and create an economic base of power in their community that's not dependent on other people. Through technology, the issue though that that I found working with a couple of tech startups that were in the incubator, who were local people, these are people who grew up in the Bronx, um, was that like the talent infrastructure wasn't there, so they were forced to kind of outsource their work to people in Ukraine or like Argentina, um, or just straight up like have to maintain an office space in Manhattan to be able to attract talent um, to come and work with them, even though they had like a co-working space in the Bronx. Um, and I kind of realized that like there's a talent like. People have great ideas in the hood, but like there was no talent to implement on those ideas. So that's kind of like w what I started thinking about in my own mind, like, yo, how could something like this exist so that we were able to kind of make our own, like I had the vision for like the hood Silicon Valley basically. And um, linked up with Jay, uh, basically, you know, kind of randomly coming in for office space. But, you know, we ended up having a whole bunch of conversations about, you know, what she was working on, what, you know, my thoughts, as someone who taught myself how to code, because like I didn't, like I said, I had no formal um, technology education, uh, basically just learned on YouTube and like blogs, um, but was able to kind of pick up clients. And like by the time that Geraldine had met me, I was already like building out applications for a bunch of the startups in the space. I was doing contract work for them on the side, um, stuff like that. And it had started the process of me changing my life because that community manager role was, you know, that was like a paycheck to paycheck kind of situation. Um, and yeah, so like, her, like Geraldine's vision for like changing the alternative, like creating alternative pathways for people really mirrored up with my like personal life experience. Because even though I had gone to college, I never really utilized what I learned in college and ended up really making like money 
you know, using skills that I taught myself after I had already like graduated. So, um, but the thing, you know, but the thing is that my experience of teaching myself was like a multi-year experience. It was like two years before I really knew what the hell I was doing. Uh, and we kind of saw a vision of like, how do I take my experience and condense it to get people to economic stability as quickly as possible so that they could take that, that initial economic stability and use it to grow their own, like, you know, power base essentially. Um, so that's kind of how we linked up. And then, you know, uh, Jay coming from education reform and like trying to create these alternative pathways, my own personal story kind of melded to create the concept of knowledge house, um, which was piloted in 2014 uh out of pocket so you know me and, and Gerald put up the money to, to run it um and it was a tech entrepreneurship pilot program uh basically taught by ourselves and like volunteers out of a community center in the in uh, the hunts point section of the south bronx called um the point uh great people over there shouts to danny but um but yeah so basically uh that's kind of how we started and it was it was really grassroots like literally i just hit up my friend network of people who i knew that knew a little bit about either technology or 3d modeling entrepreneurship and just brought them in to talk to the our initial cohort um you know taught the coding classes myself journal was teaching classes about digital filmmaking so we were all like hands on deck we were buying the students lunch out of our own money that kind of stuff um and that was 2014 and you know that kind of allowed us because we kind of came out of pocket to do that kind of allowed us to build up a track record enough to to get some initial contracts going into schools and working with CBOs and and bringing our programs to them. Uh, and then over time, it's just evolved, understanding that like our theory of change really was that like we need to get people to economic and like um, stability and allow them to empower themselves economically through technology because there's like this loophole of their them needing talent and not having it uh, to the point where they're able to overlook people not having degrees. So um, that was really the initial concept. Um, Gerilyn did a great job of like going out there and hitting the pavement and getting us these contracts and like, you know, um, you know, building a team around around the Knowledge House concept. And then, uh, you know, that was like 2014. And then 2015, we launched our first advanced programs. So the advanced programs were the job training programs when we realized basically that like, in order for our, our people really to, to um, get the ability to create businesses which is the ultimate goal of the initial program uh to create technology startups like they were never going to be able to do that if they were living if they were didn't have money so like the goal really was to first get them into that job that's going to take their you know paycheck to paycheck existence or maybe no paycheck existence and turn it into something where they're making like eighty thousand dollars a year and allow and you know most of them are living at home these young people for the most part like you know um, our initial age range was 16 to 24 but um we've kind of pushed it up since then uh, to be 18 and up for the um, for the job training programs and you know just running with that model have, have kind of diversified the the different things that we offer um, to the point where we're going to be offering a year-long program for people to go from nothing to employable in the tech sector um, starting in September and uh, and I, I, we didn't mention this but it is all free like all of our programs have always been free like participants have never paid because we do focus on low-income communities Wow thank you guys so much it's it's really great to hear like both how unconventional these stories are because it's I think it's really empowering but also thanks for sharing you know in so much detail it's really um awesome and you sort of already answered our next question a little like touched on a few points um but I think that I'd love we'd love to hear you know You've touched on 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 why the school's focus is on technology, but I think, like maybe you could speak a little more on like how technology 
is so empowering in this moment to to like create all kinds of different things like how it is this you know link to all, to all these other things but also why is it important for the school to be located in the Bronx and like who really are you trying to serve I mean I and another thing that we want to get to that that is sort of like built into this question is like what kinds of classes also like are, are you teaching for example that are giving these kinds of skills that would make someone employable in tech? Yeah. Um, what I'll add to Joe's story is that, um, well, first of all, right, Joe explained how he didn't study technology. He taught himself coding and that helped him like improve his, his whole like skill set, financial situation, et cetera. In my case, um, I had been making short films since I was a little girl, right? But when I was making short films, YouTube hadn't come out yet. Like social media was not popular. And so it was around high school that uh, because of technology, like social media became popular, YouTube became accessible. And now uh, people were creating videos um, using more advanced technology, right? Like when I was making short films as a little girl, I was recording on like SD tapes and then I had to digitize them in like a really big <laughs> machine. And then it wasn't until I witnessed like how technology uh, transforms cinema that I realized, wow, like technology is making storytelling accessible to people. So I just think that technology um, provides more access, right? Of course, we're learning. Technology also creates a lot of problems, right? But um, if someone has access to the internet and someone has access to a device, they can learn anything, right? And so um, especially because at the time the tech market was growing, um, it, it seemed a good fit for the population that we wanted to serve. Also, about half of the technology jobs don't require a bachelor's, right? So for our population that we know is probably not college bound or they're stopping and dropping out of college, we wanted them to have access to high paying jobs. And so we found those in the tech sector. Um, what I would say, though, is when Joe and I were like thinking about these ideas, we did try to like learn about what tech looked like in the Bronx. And I actually remember that he introduced me to a Bronx tech meetup and it was being led by, by these like computer science students at Columbia. And of course they were white, they were all men. And I was just like, this can't be Bronx tech. You know what I mean? And so that's why it became really important to focus on tech, especially in the Bronx, because Back then, tech was not in the Bronx. Um, around like 2014, that's when like the government started thinking about the Tech Talent Pipeline Initiative. Um, that's when the DOE started th uh, started thinking about computer science for all. But in those early years, those initiatives were not impacting the Bronx at all. And the Bronx was being left behind. So understanding the opportunity within tech and then understanding that the Bronx was at risk of not like benefiting from this we knew that we needed to intervene, especially if like the future of Bronx Tech was gonna be led by people that weren't from the community, right? So that's when me and Joe started this pilot and we started it with Bronx entrepreneurs, right? Like they were mostly of color and they were staying in the Bronx and they wanted to get back. Um, what I would say about the population that we wanna serve, 
Um, I think because Joe and I were so frustrated with like the college or bust myth, when we first designed the program, we thought we would target people that weren't going to go to college. You know, like we thought, all right, college is not for everyone. Not everyone in the Bronx succeeds in college. So let's create a program that's an alternative to college. And what we learned throughout the years is that most of our students actually pursued college. Most of them didn't make it. But when you ask like, like a middle school kid or like a high school freshman, oh, what do you want to do after high school? Like nine times out of 10, they're going to mention college, whether they know what career path they want to go into, whether they know what college is like. Um, and so what we learned is like it's false to think that there's a population out there that's 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 large enough to serve that like doesn't want to pursue college. I think people want to pursue higher education and advanced training. It's just that like the higher ed system is not set up for them. Like they're not successful in college, you know? Um, so I think that right now the knowledge house is really providing training to anyone that wants a career in tech. And like they're just not getting sufficient training at a college or at another nonprofit, you know? Often we get students that have dropped out of college and they've studied computer science or like design, but we also get a lot of students that um, have graduated from programs like Empower, Year Up, even Perscolas. And so they are coming to us because they wanna learn like higher level tech skills, they want higher wages, and they know that software development training is where it's at. Um, and so we have been able to serve a really diverse body of students, you know, like people that never went to college, people that graduated from college and still can't get jobs, right? And so um, we really just built a community, right? So we are providing technology programs to low-income people in the Bronx, period. And our model allows us to customize programs for the population and be responsive to community needs. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, oh, sorry, no bad. No, um, you continue. I was just going to say we have a chorus of horns, but I think it stopped. <laughs> so you go. Go on it. Yeah. I would just add to that. that we, While we are focused uptown, we have had students from literally every part of the city. We, um, we've had people from East New York come through. We've had people from Staten Island come through. So um, while it's not... It's not like you have to live in the Bronx to take our classes, but um, because of where we're located, because we have a big impact in the community itself, we do a lot of stuff with, like in terms of events and like, you know, even social events in our office and stuff like that, try to open it up to people for people to use. Um, we do tend to get the majority of our students um, from the Bronx. Um, and yeah, I, I think what Geraldine said is, is absolutely is absolutely accurate. I mean, oftentimes it's people who went to school and just dropped out for financial reasons or whatever, family reasons. Um, that still want to succeed in life. It's just that, you know, they, they can't go into debt to do it, you know? Yeah, I would love to hear you all talk more about, like, what are the courses that you offer? And, yeah, like, what are these? Oh, I guess I, I was also curious, too. Like, what are these jobs that seem to um, kind of veer off the traditional path of, you know, needing to get, like, a bachelor's in, like, computer science or what have you. It's like, what are those, what are the courses you offer? And then what are the kinds of jobs that you're preparing um, graduates of your program to, to be equipped to fill? Yeah, for sure. So basically um, we have two tiers of programs that we run. Some are in school programs. So those are essentially like exploratory programs um, for the youth just to get them like interested in technology, uh, potentially like help connect them to resources to get into like computer science programs in colleges. 
um, you know, financial resources uh, or scholarships or, or things like that. Um, but th the goal with those is really just like, all right, we're going to expose you to something you haven't seen before. You're going to build some cool stuff. You know what I mean? Like you're going to feel good about yourself and then you're going to figure out where your next step is. Um, so that's the one tier of program. The, the other tier of program, which are our in-house programs, because those tend to be contracts we do with schools. Um, the in-house programs are uh, technology job training programs. So those fall under two categories. The first category is a web development category. So this is essentially um, full stack web development, creating um, applications like, you know, like the one we're using right now or like the ones you use on your phone or whatever. Um, so that is really like about using technology for product development and product design, which is kind of the evolution of our entrepreneurship training, basically. Um, so we teach them not only the actual full coding skills and like job readiness skills. So like we help them with their resume, their portfolios, um, because this industry is very heavily portfolio based that you get hired by showing that you've worked on projects in the past, essentially. Um, and you know, we work with them to take them through the entire product development cycle. So it's not like we're just giving them stuff to code. We're also going to be showing them like, all right, this is how you scope out a proposal. This is how you um, do a initial mock-ups and wireframes and get feedback and present your, your, your um, concepts. And then this is the actual build-out process. This is how you project manage that process, um, so on and so forth. Because ultimately our goal is like, I know that our students have to overcome several barriers when they get into the industry. They have to overcome... Um, implicit bias against against people who don't look like the typical programmer they got to overcome cultural differences because they're not coming from like a, a back you know even you know even if uh it's like they're not coming from the same background as anyone else in the workplace for the most part so because of that we need to make sure that they're like extra like like their skills are like heavy duty by the time they get out of the program so we try to mirror the real world as close as possible so oftentimes our, our students are coming out of our program able to hit the ground running faster than a computer science like graduate from a college would because a lot of that stuff is theoretical. Um, and that's something that we really, that like we're looking to expand and like, uh, and solidify into our programs because ultimately we know that, you know, our people are facing an uphill battle. Um, but yeah, so like that's the concept of the programs itself. The other, so that's one side is the product development side. The other side is the data science side. So that's essentially data programming, working with large data sets. So like you got to think every time Amazon recommends you to buy something because you bought something else, there's someone crunching data. There's a program that's written to crunch the data of hundreds of thousands and millions, probably millions of purchases to figure out the correlation between the two different um, items to like a mathematical probability. And people write programs that do that. And that's that's in you know in e-commerce, but that's also like how Netflix knows what to, to, to suggest you or like how Netflix knows what content they should be investing in. That's how, um, you know, that's how like the, the stock market, people are, are writing algorithms that trade um stocks in the stock market like all that stuff is is programming ultimately because the data is so vast that no single human can like parse it and figure out anything like useful out of it you know what i mean so um we teach those skills as well uh and then we do uh internship placements so we do paid internships so everyone who finishes um the new training program that we're running the advanced training programs a nine-month program um and that includes a work-study project um which is essentially like a real-world project they work on as their capstone uh, then they get a paid internship uh, for three months, and then we provide them with um, job placement support for three months as well after that.
Yeah, these programs are super exciting to to hear about because, of course, there's it seems like there's just been endless, you know, headlines and news stories about just the proliferation of like a bias and how algorithms sort and surveil us in a variety of different domains. And all it seems like a lot of that has to do with how, to your point, like how homogenous um, the you know employees at a lot of these big tech companies are and how systemic that kind of, you know. Frank, I mean, I'll say it, employment discrimination is in, in the tech field. I mean, I'm, you brought you brought up before, you know, this uphill battle and the barriers that a lot of your um, students and the people in the program um, are kind of going up against when trying to break into the, the, the tech field. It seems like it's not only just, you know, maybe not access to like the branding of like being part of a university, but also just like the economic capital to be an entrepreneur, like how important that is. The fact that it's our communities don't have that wealth to just take the risks, you know, but I'm also thinking too about like, so there's the economic capital, but then there's also just like the social relationships and like the, the buddy system that it seems like it takes to create a foray of, a career into this, into the tech industry. I mean, I'm just thinking about um, Oracle, for example, like the software company recently had was sued by the Department of Labor and had to pay like, I think like $400 million because they just had this like, you know, pattern of paying women and people of color less than white men for the same job. So it seems like it's just this really intense, um, intensely entrenched um, discrimination that's taking place. So, I mean, I was wondering, I would love to hear more of both of your thoughts on kind of like the broader um, context, the political and social context that your students are going to be facing in, in a, in a, an employment situation that, you know, as you, as you brought up Joe before is, you know, they're facing an uphill, an uphill battle that has a lot to do with, you know, relationships and i and i would say like you know segregation in our in our society as a whole um yeah i mean yeah for sure uh, jay you want to you want to say something yeah i'll just say um we know going in that our students are going to have challenges in the workplace right like in terms of being a traditional culture fit we know that a lot of um companies are still having like a criteria or checklist to see like, oh, is this person going to be a good fit in this culture? And so what, what, what we're trying to teach our students is that like, first of all, when you go into a job interview, um, the employer is interviewing you, but you are also interviewing the company to know if you want to work there. Right. And so um, we need to teach our students to like be really asset based in terms of pitching themselves, right? Obviously they're different, but they need to lead with that as a contribution. You know, like maybe I won't fit into your traditional culture, but if you care about diversity, equity, and inclusion, well, here is why like my differences will contribute to your culture, will improve your culture. So literally we need to teach our students how to take their um, growth areas, their improvement areas and turn them into assets. Right. Because our population is like like they've been um, like shitted on so much over time. You know, like the average student is just not used to highlighting their strengths and using their improvement areas as opportunities. Um, I think it's a really important skill because when you're working in a, 
in the tech space and in any other sector that's that's not diverse, you always need to advocate for yourself, right? Not only do you need to advocate for yourself, but you should be advocating for the other people that look like you at your company or in the field. Um, even uh, right now, right? Like Joe and I are literally studying the tech market to see if like there's a decrease or increase in, in the tech jobs. And luckily we're fine. All the jobs are there, they're remote. But when you actually dig a little deeper, you notice that the tech companies are laying off uh, developers and designers that are people of color, right? So the people to be let go because of COVID at the tech companies are, are the people of color. So even when you make it, like you need to work hard to stay there. You know what I mean? And so that's an important skill, advocacy, um, knowing your self-worth and, and, and knowing how to pitch uh, your opportunities as, as strengths or your improvement areas as strengths. Um, and I think you always need to learn on the job, right? Joe can talk about this, but literally we have alumni that once they're placed, they come back to the knowledge house and talk about, oh, you need to teach this new skill because that's what I'm using at work. So mm -hmm. like, you just have to arm this population with so many tools in their like a uh, tool belt, right? So that they can really thrive in this economy. Yeah, um, and, and one thing I'll, I'll like uh, add to that as well is that, um, even though we focus our our focus has shifted from like straight up entrepreneurship stuff to doing more job training, the entrepreneur like the fact the pieces of the entrepreneurship program like that DNA is still baked into the program, and the reason for that um, is because ultimately, even if they don't want to create a product, even if they're looking at themselves as they are the product, they are what they are selling. So like it's very important for them to understand like negotiation, understand that like look, you may get this job, you need to utilize this job for what it is. And if that means you got to like utilize it to work on a project that pads your resume so you can jump to something that makes you twice as much money, then you do that. If that means you want to stack your bread and then start your own company, that means you do that. Ultimately, like the benefit of the technology space is that it, it does allow for a lot of freedom because the same skill set that goes into making a, a product that can make you a ton of money goes into these jobs that can give you a lot of stability, theoretically. You know what I mean? So like um, there is no it, it's like a multi path approach so people who just want to get a regular job and chill out at the end of the day they have a very there's a lucrative industry for them and, and people who are a little bit more entrepreneurial who don't want to depend on any any company um have options as well so i think that that's one of the really beautiful things about the technology space that i could speak for just personally in my own life um so i think that that's a big part of what we do as well it's just giving people that because i feel like like Geraldine said a lot of people just don't everyone's so busy like begging for crumbs out here that it's like the thought that, like, oh, I actually have to hold out. Oh, I actually have something of value that these people pay a ton of money for. It's like, they might know it, but to, to theoretically like know it and to really know it, know it, like feel it, they're two different things. Um, so we definitely work on that. And honestly, a big part of that is our alumni network. Um, as Geraldine mentioned, our, our alumni network is very involved in the organization. Um, a lot of our employee, like a lot of our team members are, are alumni and, and like we interface regularly with alumni. All of our in-house products are built only by alumni. I only hire alumni in my consulting work. Like we keep them very close because they provide us with number one, up-to-date information about what the industry is doing right now. They also provide us with, um, with, with references for like for future students. Uh, and then also like ultimately if one, when one of them decides like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of the corporate thing. I'm going to go make my own thing and they pop. 
Like that's someone that I could just funnel talent to and make sure everybody's eating. So I think that that's always that like that, that like that um, variety um, or diversity and outcome for people who, who get into this skill set is something that makes it very um, valuable for the community. And, um, you know, I, I know that you guys wanted to get into like automation and stuff later, but I think that like the way things are going, the windows of of like industries that allow for people to kind of like move socially up in like the economy are closing on like almost everything else that people out here do. So, you know what I mean? It's like, you gotta like get with it now or you're gonna get left behind. And, and ultimately they have no intention of bringing us along. So we gotta like bring ourselves along basically. And that's my opinion though, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that we would definitely agree with that. And I, I mean, I think it's really cool that there's such an emphasis or that there's the possibility of encouraging like a more entrepreneurial thought. Cause I, I do also think that's something that's really missing from like traditional college education is that you're sort of taught to, you're encouraged to look for the jobs where you, where you do fight over crumbs. Like you're encouraged to compete for the same types of things with other similar people instead of just like, you know, being empowered to, you know, have an original idea and, and be singular instead of following like a, a, a path. So I think that that, I wish I had had more of that personally. Um, exactly. And those soft skills too, that like, I definitely didn't learn. I mean, like, I don't, I, I obviously don't work in tech, but like have navigated like other industries and don't come from a class background where like my, my parents, like, you know, I could just ask my dad or my mom, like, how do you kind of negotiate your salary at this corporation? Like, or how do you, you know, like personify authority at an interview with a, with a company, you know, that those are all things that I guess like some communities have access to just by virtue of you know history and the way our society works and so I also think it seems like another really important component of what you all are providing your students is that like you know understanding like their value and like how to you know use their perspective and yeah their identity to 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 their advantage so that that's also, that was also really cool to hear you both speak on as well yeah well we would also like to hear about your fellowships um Maybe you could t you could tell us a little about the Innovation Fellowship and also your partnership with French Montana, which I was very excited to see on your website. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in 2020, we are launching two fellowship programs that really are improved versions of what we've done for the past five years. Um, so we have one fellowship for adults called the Innovation Fellowship. Um, as Joe mentioned, we offer two training tracks for that fellowship. So we are recruiting 50 fellows, 25 fellows will be studying data science and the other 25 will be studying web development. The application deadline for this program is tomorrow. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the program officially starts in September. It's a 12 month fellowship. Um, and you basically get about three months of foundational training, six months of advanced training and on the job work. Um, and then you end with a paid three month internship. What's nice is that we understand because of COVID, a lot of our applicants are now unemployed, uh, bouncing from job to job. And so we are uh, providing supportive services to our students. So they'll, they'll get a laptop. Uh, access to a MiFi if they don't have internet at home. Um, they will get a stipend for their participation and we're also offering work study employment. So um, 
during the day, because this is an evening class, right? So during the day, um, they're working on client projects uh, and then getting some income for that as well. So we're really excited about this program. Um, as I said, it launches in September. And then the second fellowship is for high school students. So this is a new program that we've developed with French Montana uh, last year. It's called the Kareem Carbouche Coding Fellowship Program. That is French Montana's government. Um, and he donated to uh, serve 50 fellows um, in the founding cohort. And so we are recruiting for that program right now. So that program is going to happen over the summer. Um, so it'll be a summer program for youth. Uh, the application deadline is in late June, so there's still time for youth to apply. We are giving preference to high school students that reside in the Bronx or go to a Bronx high school, and especially those that are immigrants or come from immigrant backgrounds. Um, and then that program focuses on design and, and web development. Um, what's really cool about that program is since it's focused on high school youth, we have aligned the curriculum to uh, the associates program at Hosos Community College that focuses on media design. So if a high school student finishes the program and they want to enroll at CUNY, they can actually take six pre-college credits with them, right? So we, we're also trying to you know, provide these alternative training programs, but we're also trying to partner with higher ed partner with higher ed to um, align on curricula, align on possible credit transfer, because we think that this work will all strengthen uh, school and career pathways. Um, and so other than those two fellowships, uh, we have been doing a lot of online workshops that just focus on basic digital fluency skills. Understanding that the average worker might need to transition to remote. We know that, you know, people now need to be better at email, right? Like they need to um, be familiar with project management software, uh, conferencing software like Uber conference or Zoom or Google Hangouts. Um, and so all of that requires digital literacy skills, right? Like how does the web work? Why is this um, software like web-based? Um, and so we are going to be providing a lot of these workshops um, as webinars and also on IG Live just for the general public. So we're excited to be launching these new fellowship programs that focus on job training and then also offering um, basic job training to the general public. Yeah, I mean, it's I, it's so great to hear that you all are also uh, offering these like paid internship experiences because it seems like across industries, but especially in tech, like that's the kind of dividing line between like the haves and have nots. It's like who has like the capital, who has like the money from the parents coming in to be able to fund this like experience that opens doors for you and who doesn't. And I, and I think that get, it gets again to the point about, about capital. And so really getting the people in uh, that you, communities that you serve access to paid opportunities, because of course, like, these students are learning and are being trained, but they're also providing tremendous value to these companies and they need to be paid like enough with these free internships. So that's like awesome to hear that you guys are mobilizing to, to offer that. I think this, the point that you just made um, about, you know, the, the, the current realities that we're in, especially with like COVID and how, you know, 
our entire like social landscape and our economic landscape has completely um, for, you know, for some workers, um, a great deal of workers have moved into this remote, you know, online space. Um, you know, we've seen Zoom, you mentioned like Uber conference, what we're recording on right now has become this, you know, this crux of like personal and professional contact, but also like how people are going to school, how kids are going to school and learning now across the, across the world. And so I would, Love to hear um, you guys talk a bit more about how this COVID crisis has impacted your perspective on the work that you both are doing um, and perhaps maybe um, illuminated a bit more about why the tech-based educational services and programs you all are providing are are so critical. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... In a weird way, COVID has made everything we do a lot more necessary, but also lowered some of those barriers that we were talking about earlier. Because, like, culture fit doesn't matter as much if you're working remotely. And actually that a lot of our students that are, would be, like, someone might consider a bad culture fit have been able to secure lucrative positions remotely. So that, that that's one part of it that's very interesting is the fact that, like, having to deal with people in person and, and the dichotomy between that and not having to do that. Um, actually slightly benefits us in a way. But I mean, if you look at the entire, like the, the pandemic and the impact on the community, like it's made what we do very, very um, necessary. Because number one, I mean, most people in, in our community who are, who are employed are employed in the service economy um, and are living precariously because the service economy doesn't really pay that well. So you have a situation where like everyone, a lot of people have lost their jobs, um, especially in our communities have lost their jobs. Um, and to be honest with you, some, you know, some of those jobs are going to come back when things start reopening up, but it, you know, these, a lot of these businesses, a lot of the smaller businesses that were employing a lot of people are shutting down. I saw a report somewhere that said like 40% of small businesses that shut down may not reopen. Um, on top of that, companies are being like larger, like large multinationals, especially like product companies like Amazon are being affected by this in the sense that like their, their like operations are getting slowed up. So like for them, like they were already investing, like in 2019, they invested $100 million in an uh, artificial intelligence company. Uh, and there's been numerous reports that um, they're only going to invest more and more in warehouse automation software and, um, and you know, all the different, uh, different softwares around, like automating as many of their, their business processes that depend on manpower as possible, which is something that they were going to do anyway. But, um, you know, due to the, the COVID situation, like the pandemic situation, like they're accelerating that greatly right now. Um, and what that means is that, you know, what might've been like a five to seven year transition into like elimination of a ton of these jobs might be a three year transition. Um, and I, I don't think people have really like fully understood the impact of that. Um, and, you know, it's our community that works these jobs. It's our community that's behind the cash register. It's our community that's, you know what I mean? Like at the Amazon warehouse pulling things off the shelves, you know what I mean? So like, we need to make moves now because we're going to be hit. We're always hit the hardest and we're going to be hit the hardest again. And like, I just, you know, I, I like, I think what we're doing is going to like, it's not, it may not be a mass solution for everyone, but if we could just like help some people stay stable and create businesses that can employ other people, then that's at least a, a step in the right direction. Yeah. One example that I always think about is um, how like app based workers have become essential workers. Right. Um, so when we're obviously talking about healthcare workers as essential, but app-based workers, including like Amazon delivery people, right? Uber drivers, 
um, et cetera. Like these are people from low-income communities, right? They they are in low-wage jobs, um, but they have to work. They are the run like, like like they are the ones running everything right now during COVID. And like Joe and I just have this vision, right? Like, what if the driver at Uber or the delivery person at Amazon is actually like a technologist and they actually have skills to work at these companies as software developers, you know? They would probably be working from home. They probably would not be out there being exposed to COVID. They would be getting higher paying jobs and they would be in a role that empowers them to like innovate, you know? And so that's the situation where we're in right now. Like we want to really um, serve everyone that's been negatively impacted by COVID and we want them to be prepared to thrive in the recovery time, you know? Yeah, and definitely in terms of like the Uber driver situation, like I, I'm sure everyone here is familiar with like the whole like 5G thing that people were talking about, like when this thing started. Yeah. And like, it's very funny right. to me because in reality, the thing that 5G is going to do is allow for mass mobilization of um, autonomous vehicles because they need the bandwidth to be able to talk to each other in order to like have a highway full of them. So it's not actually... Like, I don't know about the health implications. I, I think it's probably more likely to cause cancer because it's high frequency radiation than it is to like give you COVID. But like, um, like, the, like those, those Uber jobs, they're not even gonna be around that much. Like we're talking like five years maybe. So, you know what I mean? Like all these, like even these like, like placeholder positions in the, like the new gig economy are like a lot of them are temporary, honestly. So it's, it's, and understanding that, like being able to, like, this is all stuff that's, like, the people in the industry know this. This isn't, like, a secret, you know what I mean, like, Illuminati plot. Like, this is something that's actually happening. If you read industry periodicals, they talk about it. If you look at books on the subject, they talk about it. We're talking about a five to ten year window. So, you know, because, like, due to gentrification and everything in New York City, it's already hard enough to live out here as a working person. So it's like kind of do or die time for us to mobilize to get as many people upskilled as possible to be able to like survive. All right, that yeah. urgency is just and ever the more like palpable. So that's, yeah. I didn't know anything about the 5G situation as well. So that was, that was, that's also crazy to hear. Well, it's a yeah. hundred times faster than um, 4G. So like they, they need that for the, the, um, the cars to be able to work basically. Well, wow. everything about 5G, I learned from memes, so I will not share. <laughs> um, I'm just gonna sit out on that one. But I think you that you bring up a really um, important point that you know the the like impending automation of a lot of this and the you know drastic changes to the economy due to whole types of jobs like ceasing to exist pretty much spontaneously is something that obviously has been on the horizon for a while and I mean and there have been plenty of whistleblowers on it you know like writing mm -hmm. I, mean, I know there was a whole Bloomberg issue last year that I read about like what was going to happen when this comes to a head but but hopefully in a way the, the shifts in the way jobs are happening due to COVID will you know perhaps pr provide a little bit of a heads up to the kinds of changes that are going to happen and you know give and give us a moment to think through like how we might prepare but um we are almost okay. So we're, we're we're basically at an hour, and we don't want to keep you guys too long. But we have a, a final question, which is, um, 
Do you have a vision for a next big goal for your organization? Um, what would that like next growth spurt be for you guys? So um, in 2019, we were in the process of developing our strategic plan to really see where we've um, gotten it right in the first five years and like what our impact has been and then where we want to head in the next five years. And what's really exciting is that um, we, you know, had plans to scale nationally. We had our target cities identified. We already um, piloted a program in Los Angeles last summer, and we were going to head to Newark, New Jersey, and to like at Atlanta, Georgia next. And so as you can imagine, that has all been on pause now because of COVID. Um, but Joe and I are really hopeful that actually um, we have an opportunity now to adjust our program model now that it's going to be online, right? And so we're trying to figure out, can we offer an online program using our learning management um, software to more people anywhere, right? So we're trying to see if we can reduce the, um, the, the um, cost of our programs so that we can serve more students and then use the online platform to really serve a student anywhere, whether they're in the Bronx or like Los Angeles. So um, I'm really excited about that possibility because it means that if we get the model right, we can still scale nationally and we can even you know, spread further than those three cities that we were considering. And so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, just to add to that, like, you know, one of the things that's always been very important to us, because we always saw ourselves scaling through this platform anyway, but um, it like for the populations that we serve and that we focus on, it's very important to connect with the communities they're coming from. So like, you know, working in New York, you know, Geraldine and I both have the life experience of growing up in lower income communities in New York. So it's like where I'm able to connect with my students in a very real way. They are literally looking at me as someone who was exactly like them that was able to come up essentially. So like we want to be able to recreate that in other cities, but we couldn't do that authentically because we're New Yorkers. So like the goal is to create these toolkits and work with people on the ground. Um, so like for the LA pilot, we worked with an organization that, that um, provides services to people who are court involved and taught them marketing skills you know what i mean because like we're not like i don't know nothing about the la scene like that to be able to like go there and like you know just drop stuff on people's heads like it's very important for us to work with the community to do that in a way that's like led by them we're just providing the toolkit so they don't have to spend you know six years building it yeah joe's absolutely right um i would say what is coming up for us so we're looking forward to launching this fellowship program we're looking forward to learning how to um, offer the best online program as possible so that we can scale nationally. And the other thing um, is that we do have community partnerships in the Bronx with uh, colleges and employers. And so we know that we can't do this work alone, right? Like we talked about a lot of things in the past hour and like it's tech training, but also soft skills, right? It's like policy and like systems change work needs to happen as well. So um, we have built this hyper local uh, strategic partnership called the Bronx Digital Pipeline. And it actually convenes nonprofits that provide tech training and colleges that provide tech courses as well. And now we've um, partnered with employer networks in the Bronx that are looking for tech talent. 
And so we have been working on this initiative for like about three years now. And um, this is something that we want to replicate in other cities. So we don't want to go over there and say, okay, let's do this. We want to say, look, this is what we built in the Bronx. Here's how we connected with various stakeholders. What does your community look like? What would this look like in your community? And that's how we want to grow. We want to stay hyper-local in the Bronx. We want to focus on our community, but we want to spread the love and we want to share everything that we've learned with as many people as possible. It's been so great to learn more about you both and the work that you do. Um, if anyone wants to learn more about the Knowledge House and what you all are up to, how can they you know, yeah, stay in touch and, and find out more? Um, all right. Well, I guess if, well, I would say to, to go to the application link if they want to take the class, but it's about to close tomorrow and I don't know when this is airing, so I'm not sure, but, um, I would say just in general, you know, knowledgehouse.org, uh, we have an FAQ there. You could always reach out to us, info at the knowledgehouse.org uh, and, and we'll respond to you. You know, if you have any questions uh, about what we do, if you want to just learn generally about the programs. Also, uh, we're on Instagram at the Knowledge House. Um, we have a pretty, you know, our, our uh, digital presence communications manager is great. Um, and any requests made to the inbox, they will get forwarded to whoever on the team is the best person to answer it. Um, also, when the world opens back up, we'll be running mad events in the Bronx. We always do. Uh, some of them are technology focused, but some of them are just cultural things. You know what I mean? Like we've done like sip and paints. We've done like game nights where like we'll do like tournaments with like Smash Bros and stuff like that. So like we do a whole bunch of different things. Um, just to engage the community, generally speaking. And, and obviously, um, if people follow us on IG, like they'll be able to see all that stuff. Amazing. Jinx, Marcel. Um, typical, <laughs> typical. Two sides of the same coin. Um, thank you guys so much. This was really inspiring and fascinating. And we will definitely, when we post this, which will probably be within the next week, we will also emphasize that your application closing in June for the summer fellowship. So hopefully we'll traffic that way. But thank you. Um, we really appreciate it. This is the Top Rank Podcast. And bye. Yeah, okay, until next time. We'll talk, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks so much.